book of Hebrews chapter 7. And we're actually going to read only two verses today, verse 20 to verse 22. You guys are going to be so happy. Only two pages of notes. This is like a miracle. As you can tell, I haven't even edited the verses here. It says Hebrews 7, 20 to 25. That was the original text I think I thought we we're going to discuss. But then it's really, it would have been so huge and will take a long time just to get through these five verses. So I thought that you guys would appreciate two short sermons than one long sermon, right? Yeah. So we'll do only two verses today, verse 20, 21, and 22, and we'll continue next week up to verse 25. Hebrews 7, 20 to 22, here is what the author of Hebrews has said. <clears throat> In as much as, as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who have said to him, the Lord has sworn and shall not relent, you are a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become an assurity of a better covenant. So let me just read that um, verse 20 and verse 22 real quick again. And as much as he, has, he was made a priest without an oath, by so much more Jesus has become an assurity of a better covenant. Amen. So we've been uh, in the book of Hebrews now for 28 weeks, and we have arrived to almost uh, toward the last third of chapter 7. If you have been following, the, the book of Hebrews was written by the author of Hebrews. This is the review part. It was written by the author of Hebrews to Christians who were Jewish uh, once upon a time. And because of persecution or for any other reason, they wanted to abandon Christ and abandon Christianity and go back to Judaism. So that is the whole point of the book. The author of Hebrews is warning them not to do that. And in order for him to encourage them never to consider abandoning Christ and apostatize and go back to Judaism, in the first almost 10 chapters, he argued the superiority of Christ, the superiority of Christianity over the Old Testament elements. In chapter 1 and 2, he argued that Jesus is superior to the prophets and is superior to the angels. Then in chapter 3 and 4, he argued that Jesus is superior to Moses. Then chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and most of chapter 10, he's arguing that Jesus is superior to Aaron, the high priest of the Old Testament. Now again, um, the, the concept of the high priest in the Old Testament is extremely important. The high priest is the one who atoned for the sins of the people. He's the middleman in a way who makes people right with God. He's the one through whom... Uh, and through the sacrifices he offers, God provides forgiveness to his people. He's the one who brings man to God, and he's the one who brings God to man. So the concept of Jesus being our high priest in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and his superiority to the high priest of the Old Testament is absolutely essential in terms of understanding our salvation and how great the salvation in the New Testament compared to the Old Testament, how God would save people symbolically, obviously, in the Old Testament. So um, in, in that argument that the author of Hebrews have presented how Jesus is superior high priest, in chapter 5, he started by comparing the similarities between Jesus and Aaron, and that's in chapter 5, verse 1 to 10. Then he took a break 
from chapter 5, verse 11, all the way till the end of chapter 6, and gave the readers, his readers, one of the strongest and harshest words in which he warned them very sternly never to consider going back to Judaism. And then starting chapter 7, in which we are right now, he went back to his argument how Jesus is superior as our high priest, uh, that Moses of the Old Testament. The proof text that the author of Hebrews had been using throughout chapter 7 is that verse from Psalm 110, verse 4. What does it say? The Lord has sworn and shall not relent. You are a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So the author of Hebrews is using that verse pretty much as the foundation of his argument that Jesus is superior because he has that prophecy, that promise from the Father, from Psalm 110 verse 4, that he will be appointed high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, which is far more, far more superior than the priesthood in the Old Testament. In chapter um, 7, 8 and uh, 9, we, in chapter 7, 5, 6 and 7, I apologize, we see that Jesus is a superior high priest. In chapter 8, 9 and 10, we see that Jesus has a superior priesthood. And in arguing that Jesus is a superior high priest in chapter 7 here, the author of Hebrews in chapter 7 has provided us five reasons in chapter 7, five reasons why Jesus is a superior high priest. Number one, because the priesthood, um, because Jesus' priesthood is, has a greater order, it came in the order of Melchizedek, than in the order of Aaron, and that's verses 1 to uh, 10. Then, last, um, two weeks ago, we spoken about Jesus has a different order. Jesus did not come on the order of Aaron, but in the order of Melchizedek. That's why Jesus is, is, is superior. He didn't just come on a greater order, he also came in a different order. And that's what we talked about last week, um, how the priesthood of Aaron was insufficient, did not make people right with God, but the priesthood that comes in the order of Melchizedek is perfect, and it can make people right with God. Uh, Sister Laura, do you still have some of the prizes? Can we ask? Okay, let me ask you a couple of questions, see if you remember last week. What was the problem with the priesthood under Aaron? It did not accomplish what? What was the one thing that the author of Hebrews talked about? It didn't lead to perfection, correct. So we'll give him a, a prize for that. Now, the author of Hebrews in the text as well last week defined for us what is that perfection. What precisely he meant that the Old Testament priesthood was able to accomplish. What is the very definition of perfection? Perfect. It did not bring us closer to God. But Jesus, as high priest, was able to bring us closer to God, right? Because he offered a perfect sacrifice. Now, what was the hindrance? Why was people under the Old Testament were not able to come close to God? Because the Old Testament priesthood was not able to solve the problem of sin. sin. That's right. She said it first. Um, he, the Old Testament priesthood was not able to solve the problem of sin, but Jesus did by his sacrifice. That's why Jesus is a superior priesthood. And now in verse uh, 22, 22, which we're looking at now, Jesus is superior because he was appointed by a divine oath. Next week, we're going to see that Jesus is superior because he's eternal versus the Old Testament high priest who would die um, after, the, after the life is over. And finally, Jesus is superior high priest because of who he is and the perfection of his sacrifice. And that's verse 26 to 28. 
So let's zoom in today into why Jesus is a superior high priest. And that's because Jesus was appointed high priest by a divine oath, unlike all the Old Testament priests, where none of them was appointed by an oath from God. Again, that idea that Jesus was appointed by a divine oath, we find its roots back in Psalm 110 verse 4 when it says this, The Lord has sworn and shall not relent. You are a high priest forever. So today the author of Hebrews is focusing more on that word sworn and what does it mean. And why Jesus is greater because he was appointed by an oath. It says here this, verse 20, And in as much as he was not made priest without an oath, and he explains that in verse 21, for they have become priests without an oath. We read about that back in the Old Testament. In Exodus 28.1, for example, we see that God is calling Aaron and his descendants to be priests and the high priests. And that's what we read in Exodus 28 verse 1. God is talking to Moses and say, Bring near to you Aaron, your brother, said God to Moses, and his sons with him for among, from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. So that's how God chose his priests in the Old Testament, Aaron and his children, to be high priests. They just said, God said, as long as they belong to the descendant of Aaron, as long as they meet certain physical qualification, they don't, they're not lame, they're not deaf, they're not mute, nothing like that. As long as they're 30 years or older, as long as they meet their, these requirements, they're qualified to be priests or even high priests to bring people to me and bring me to people. Now, Jesus was not appointed in the same way, right? Jesus was appointed by an oath from God because God said in Psalm 110 verse 4, The Lord has sworn and shall not relent. You are a high priest forever on the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus was not appointed because he fit certain physical requirement that required for him to be a priest. He didn't even come from the tribe of Levi. Jesus was appointed high priest from by God because God has sworn an oath by which Jesus was appointed as high priest. Now, when we look back at verse and chapter 6, we have seen the value of God making an oath. You guys remember that? When God spoke to Abraham and God confirmed his promise to Abraham by an oath, right? And we talked about this, that the reason God not just gave a promise to Abraham, but swore an oath to Abraham that he will bless him so that Abraham can be assured that God will definitely come true and whatever he said, it will absolutely pass, right? So the oath that God has sworn to Abraham that the author of Hebrews spoke about in chapter 6 was not for God. Uh, it's kind of like God making himself under obligation. It was only for the sake of Abraham as an assurance that what God has promised will absolutely come to pass. That's what we read in Hebrews 6, 17. Thus God determining to you and me, that's why he appointed Jesus to be our high priest. That's God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise, the immutability of his counsel. He confirmed it by an oath. So by swearing, God is making sure that his promises are true. And God, in a way, saying, I guarantee, I swear by myself that these promises will absolutely come to pass. There is absolutely no question about it. 
by appointing our high priest with an oath here, God is absolutely putting every dispute, every argument to rest. And God is assuring, not just by his promise, by his oath only, also, that he will come true. And whatever he intended to, to accomplish through Christ will absolutely come to pass. You guys are with me? So that's why you and me can rest more assured. We don't have just the promise of God that we have salvation. We don't have just the promise of God that we have eternal life. We also have the oath of God that our high priest was appointed by oath and God's immutability will never be changed and the, his counsel will definitely come to pass. Amen? And the, Psalm 110 verse 4 says this, The Lord has, not, has sworn and shall not relent. So the word shall not relent here emphasize the fact that this oath will definitely come to pass. God will never rethink about this. He will never reconsider this. This is definitely going to happen. The Lord has sworn and he will never relent. He will never reconsider this. You are a high priest forever on the order of Melchizedek. Amen? Amen. Now, verse 20 and verse 22 are linked together. Let's look at it real quick. Verse 20 says, And as much as he was not made priest without an oath, i.e., and as much as he was appointed priest by an oath, verse 22, by so much more, Jesus has become an assurity, a guarantor of a better covenant. In other words, the author of Hebrews is linking how Jesus is so much of a great assurity of our better covenant covenant is saying that the level of his greatness as our assurity is comparable to the level of the greatness of the oath of God. You guys are with me? Do you see that in, in the scripture here, verse 20, 22? And in as much as Jesus was appointed by an oath, verse 20, the result of that, verse 22, by so much more, Jesus have become an assurity of a better covenant. It's because of the oath of God that we can rest assured that there is absolutely no question that Jesus is a guarantor and a surety of that better covenant that we have with God. Amen? Now, the word that the author of Hebrews chose here, he has become an surety, a guarantor, is a very interesting word. As a matter of fact, I believe this is the only time that this word was mentioned here in the whole New Testament. It's not mentioned anywhere else, that Greek word, that Jesus has become that guarantor. The idea of that guarantor is um, a bondman, somebody who is legally responsible of accomplishing the terms of that covenant. You guys are with me? Let's put it this way. I was just thinking about it. Um, <clears throat> I love, I, I, I usually use Motorola phones. I just love them. I think there's the, they give you the best experience. Sorry, Jimmy, I, I like my phone. Um, <laughs> I talk with him about that all the time. Um, and I just purchased this phone a few weeks ago, and I bought a, an insurance plan on it uh, because I didn't know it's glass. It can fall. It can break. So I just bought this insurance plan on it for two years. Wednesday, after the prayer meeting here, I go home. I, I have the phone on my uh, um, counter on the kitchen and I'm opening the drawer or something up there and then that heavy jar I don't know what it, Katrina has and it's something super heavy and it falls straight on the screen and the screen just goes dead and the phone is as dead as it gets now I, I called them back and they replaced me that's, that's my new replacement so I'm so happy about that 
Now, you know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about that verse when, when, when that happened. When I saw that jar falling and my phone is broken once and for all, and there's absolutely no remedy for that phone anymore, how concerned do you think I was? Very, very. Actually, I wasn't. Yeah, you know why? Because I have insurance. You guys are with me? I purchased that insurance. It doesn't matter what happened to the phone. I just can call them up and they can send me a new one, right? This is the terms of the insurance that I bought. I give them the 100 bucks or whatever for two years, and then whatever happens to the, my phone, they're gonna send me a new one. I, I, I missed my phone, I had all my information on it, so I was disappointed in that sense. But was I very concerned when I saw my phone like really shattered into, like the screen not functioning anymore? Not very much. Do you know why? Because I have an assurance. I have a guarantee. There is a guarantor called the insurance policy, right? And because of that guarantor, because of that insurance policy, I was not super concerned about that I lost my $500 that I just spent three weeks ago on my phone. You guys are with me? That is the precise idea that the author of Hebrews is telling us here. Jesus, for the lack of better term, is legally responsible. You guys are with me? Jesus is legally responsible that the terms of that new covenant by which you and I enter into heaven will surely come to pass. There is absolutely no question about it. You guys are with me? This is a mind-blowing word that the author of Hebrews used to describe the divine son of the living God. He himself is the pledge that was given to us that we can rest assured that we're going to enter into heaven. There is no question about it. You guys are with me? Amen. You guys are with me? This is just mind-blowing word that the author of Hebrews has used. He is the bondman. You know what a bondman does? It's like, if you're in a legal uh, dispute, where is a bondman here? We were talking about that last week. What happens if, if somebody's in a legal dispute and they might come under debt? The bondman is the person who's legally responsible that if this person who's in that legal dispute default on their debt or default on their money, this bondman is responsible legally to provide for whatever this person is needing. You guys are with me? This is precisely who Jesus is to you and me. He's not just the mediator of the new covenant, which we're going to talk about right now. He is the guarantor, the surety of the new covenant. You guys are with me? That means, I was thinking about it. If you stand before God one day as a born-again Christian, and then for some reason an angel comes to you. I was just thinking about that situation. An angel comes to you and say. Well, God the Father decided that you're not going to enter into heaven. You're going to actually end up going to hell. You know what you can, what I would think to myself at this point, I was like, you know what? Jesus is my guarantor. The Father and the Son can figure this one out to themselves. Who pay for what? Not my problem. I am going into heaven because Jesus is the pledge that I'm definitely going to be saved. You guys are with me. There's nothing to worry about if you're a child of God. And this is extremely important because in the context of the book of Hebrews, we have seen the author of Hebrews using harsh words to warn the people from backsliding. We've seen before him saying, if people come to know Christ and then go back, there's no hope for them. They will never be reconciled again because they have publicly crucified the Son of God. But for those who are being saved, you guys are with me, Jesus himself, 
itself is our pledge. It's the pledge that was given us as a legal guarantor that the term of the covenant will surely come to pass. Amen? Amen. He is our guarantor. We've seen in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is a mediator of the new covenant multiple times. Let me just give you an example. Verse, chapter 8, verse 6, it reads this. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry in as much as he is also a mediator of a new covenant which was established on better promises. Amen? Three times, as a matter of fact, we see in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is that mediator of the new covenant. We see that the Old Testament was established by a mediator. Well, actually, that's in Galatians chapter 3. I didn't uh, write the reference here. But we read this, that the Old Testament, the law of God, was appointed through angels by the hand of that of a mediator. That's Moses. God delivered the, that commandment by or through angels, through the mediator, that is Moses. Now, Moses was the mediator of the Old Covenant, but the Old Covenant has no guarantor. You guys are with me? The New Covenant has a guarantor, and the guarantor of the New Covenant is Jesus himself. Amen? Now, the middleman is somebody who comes in between two parties that are about to enter into the covenant, and that middleman's job is to facilitate the terms of the covenant. You guys are with me? Like I'm a middleman and want to make a covenant between Justina and, and, uh, and Emmanuel. I talk to Emmanuel about what works for him. I talk with Justina about what works for her. And then I can try to convey messages back and forth to reach the happy medium where both of you guys can come into an agreement. You guys are with me. That is the job of the mediator. The guarantor on the other side is somebody who is legally responsible that the terms of the covenant must come to pass. Amen. Praise God today that Jesus is not just the mediator of our covenant with God. He's also the guarantor of our covenant with God. Amen? Now, even the word that the author of Hebrews has used here to describe that word covenant, there is a couple of Greek words that the author of Hebrews could have chosen to describe that Greek word. And that word that he chose right here is called um, diatheki, which is very interesting word. Again, he's using very interesting word here. This is the first time that the author of Hebrews, we see him using that word covenant, diatheki. And then we see that he has used that term, that word, 17 more times throughout his book. Now compare that, that the rest of the New Testament authors, all of them put together, used it about three times. You guys are with me? So this is a big... Um, Think to the author of Hebrews, the idea of that covenant is absolutely important to him. 17 times by himself versus three times for the rest of the New Testament authors. And there is similar words that the author of Hebrews could have chosen. There is another word, for example, that is um, a Greek word, uh, synthiki. I might not be pronouncing it right, but this word synthiki literally means that Two people coming into an agreement through uh, dialogue, and each one has privileges and has responsibility into that covenant. That's the word finicky, okay? The word that he uses here, which is diphiki, it is not like two people come into agreement and each one has responsibility and privilege. The word that he used here is more like a well. Like when a person is about to die and they write their own will. It's a one-way deal. It's a one-way agreement where 
the another person really doesn't have much responsibility. Amen? If you have a house and you're going to die and you write your will, that this, that Emmanuel is going to inherit that house when you die, right? Emmanuel doesn't, okay, he obviously can say no, but he really cannot, there's nothing into it that you have to do. All what you have to do is to accept the one-way will that I have written down. You guys are with me? And that's precisely the idea that the author of Hebrews is using here. He's using a word that says, not that God and man has entered into an agreement where man has to accomplish things and God has to accomplish things in order for that agreement to work. The author of Hebrews is pretty much telling us that this is a one-way agreement from God. God is the one who is responsible of all the terms of that covenant. He's the one who is responsible from A to Z. He's the one who's going to do all the work. All what you have to do is just to agree to enter into that covenant with God, but you don't have work to do in order to accomplish that covenant. Amen? Amen. Think about that. Think about that. God is saying, if you will enter into a covenant with me today, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because of his death and his resurrection, I will do all the work for you. I will change your heart. I will give you a new desire. I will give you a new will. I will make you a brand new creation. And I will adapt you into my own family. And I will let you enter into heaven. All what you have to do is just say, yes, I'm agreeing. I'm going to take that deal with God. That's it. Isn't that just mind-blowing? Amen? This is awesome. And that's because of who Jesus is and how great of a high priest he is. It's the word of the oath of God that made Jesus such a great high priest and offering you and me such a better covenant in our relationship with God. Let me just close with this. In these two verses, three verses that we have just read, I want you to consider the triple assurance that God has given every single person who put his trust in Jesus for their salvation and for their eternal life. Number one, the word covenant is a one-sided deal. You guys are with me? You don't have to do anything to enter into heaven. You don't have to work for your salvation. All what you have to do is repent of your sins, turn around, ask Christ to come into your heart and change you, and then he will give you the brand new nature, the power to change, to walk with him uprightly for the rest of your life. It's a one-sided covenant. You don't have to do anything in it. You just have to accept it. Number two, this covenant was not just promised by God, it was also confirmed by the oath of God the Father himself. You guys are with me? This is not just a promise from God, this is promise and an oath. And we have seen before that the oath finish all dispute, bring every disagreement to an end. This is it. The oath is final. And God's oath of self, that he, our high priest, has been appointed by oath is a final word right here that our salvation is guaranteed. Amen? And number three, Jesus himself is the pledge that we shall be saved. He's the legal guarantor that we will enter into heaven because of who God is. Amen? I don't know about you. That makes me very happy. Amen? Amen. Let's come into the presence of God in prayer.